the series that we have been on is greater than, and it's just the simplest idea, really, that God is, is great. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about that Hebrew word, the gadol, the greatness of God that is such a theme in Scripture, probably the most used adjective to describe the nature of God is His greatness. And as Christ followers, it is God's greatness that becomes for us much more than a theological concept to just kind of consider, to think about. Um, but it is something that actually pours energy and life and focus into our existence here. It is one of the reasons, one of the motivations that we gather it each week to sing praise um, and to, to encourage each other, to remind each other um, that God is great. It, it's why we gather. Um, during the week, as you know, I know, uh, life has a way of sort of throwing things at us that aren't uh, so in, encouraging to us. There are obstacles in our paths. There are sometimes um, surprises that are unpleasant. There are troubles. There are challenges that everybody experiences. And so we gather we gather on Sundays and we proclaim together the greatness of God. And our, we find that our struggles begin to look smaller, less menacing as we come together against the backdrop of a great God who, who loves us and who is at work in our lives. Now, without question, each of us faces challenges um, some of them are passing, some of them are enduring, uh, some of them are small and manageable, others not so much. And while we know that our troubles are real, we know that the greater than God that we serve, that He is greater than anything that we will ever face. Now, if we put our confidence in ourselves... And in our ability to manage, to cope, then we're really in trouble, aren't we? Um, if we choose, however, to walk by faith and not by sight, to trust in God and not in ourselves, then God is greater than our troubles. God is greater than those things that we face and we become as we trust in Him an unstoppable force for God. The psalmist wrote, and I think we, maybe this was the second week or so in the series, we, we looked at this psalm. Psalm 44, verse 5, the psalmist says, Through you, through God, through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. So we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our greatness. We're trusting in God and we trample our foes. If we don't trust the Lord, if we try to do life on our own, um, well, one of the things that we will come up against is the law of entropy. The law of entropy. Here it is. It's on your outline this morning. Here goes the law of entropy. Everything that is left to itself has a tendency to decline. Everything that is left to itself, any, everything left on its own, has a tendency to decline. 
a closed system over time will become, according to the law of entropy, more scattered, more disordered, and will have less energy. Um, now, this isn't just a principle of physics or the second law of thermodynamics. This is a law of life <laughs> that we experience every week. I know we have a few here at Preston Crest that love to cycle, love cycling. And if you are a cyclist, then you know that when you pedal, when you really go all out, you can get that bike up to a pretty good clip. What happens when you stop pedaling? What happens when you coast? Obviously, gradually, you lose speed. Um, if you don't pedal again at some point, you will get to moving so slowly that at some point you'll just topple over if you don't put your foot down. Even if you're going down a, a really big hill and gaining some serious speed, at some point that hill will bottom out and at some point you'll eventually go up another hill and you will slowly lose momentum if you're not pedaling. What about, what about the laundry? Um, so it feels so good, doesn't it, when you get everything, everything washed and everything folded and everything put away. It all smells so nice. It all looks so nice. But then over the next week, it doesn't stay folded. It doesn't stay clean. The laundry heads toward entropy. How about a teenager's room? Now, there's an example of entropy for you. A teenager's room. The room doesn't just sort of stay neat and orderly on its own, does it? Unless work is done every day to pick up the clothes lying in the heap beside the bed and put them in the closet to pick up the coins and, and the cell phone stuff that's sitting on the, the bedside table. Unless things are picked up constantly, then that room will fall into disorder and chaos, and most teenagers' rooms do. And some of, some of our rooms do as well. So entropy. Everything, every system left to itself, left on its own, will naturally and certainly head toward decline. Okay? It's a law that's at work in our lives. Um, now, thinking about ourselves, obviously, um, entropy is unavoidable. Just our, our own bodies, um, if we are blessed to live long enough, then entropy hits. Hair is falling out. Um, teeth may be falling out. Uh, skin is either sagging or bulging. Um, you get the, I mean, we know this. We know this. This is not a shocking revelation to you. The body tends to weaken. It tends to move toward disorder if we are fortunate enough to live a long life. This kind of entropy can you can slow it down, right? You can, you can like work out and, and be really into fitness and, and take care of yourself and eat all of the right foods and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but eventually, entropy wins. What about the spiritual dimension? 
Does the law of entropy have to hold true with respect to our spirits? Now that is a good question. Um, our family used to, um, we used to bike around the neighborhood. We'd go down to 7-Eleven and get Slurpees. And, and one time we were all headed on our bikes down to 7-Eleven a few blocks away. And I started noticing that I was really kind of having to work a little harder than usual. Um, and I was like, man, am I out of shape or what? I shouldn't be. Um, but it, was, it wasn't even like we were going uphill or anything like that. It just kind of got harder. And that's when it hit me. The tires are kind of out of air. And you look down, and you're like, oh, wow, those things are really low. And the funny, thing about, the funny thing about bicycle tires is I don't remember taking air out of them. I mean, I never, like, took air out of them. It just went. Somewhere, somehow, it just left the tire. Air just leaked, Right? And so my tires were getting really low, and my pedaling was not producing the, the power or the coast that I was used to. Each rotation seemed just a little bit harder than it should have been, and it was harder than it would have been if the tires had been fully inflated. Um, life is kind of like a bicycle tire. There is entropy. Um, we don't stop and intentionally let the air out. The air just leaves. Life can just deflate. Um, and just as it's, it, it's harder to pedal with flat tires, it's not so enjoyable to get up and go in life when the air has leaked out. We don't know where it goes. But life sort of has this way of deflating us. It just does. The pressure at work of missed deadlines. It's the air leading, okay? A conflict, an argument with your spouse or with one of your children. The air is leaving. Um, a loved one gets a, a, a report from the doctor that's not good. Air is leaving. Overwhelmed by circumstances. Unexpected bill comes in the mail. <laughs> I mean, it happens to us. It happens to everybody, right? Um, there's this tendency toward entropy, toward loss of energy in our lives. Now, in terms of the, of the spiritual, emotional, psychological side of life there are some tangible signs that entropy is winning out. There's a guy named Max Dupree, who you may have heard of him if you read business books. He wrote one of the best-selling business books of all time, uh, Leadership is an Art. He started the, uh, a furniture company, very successful, this kind of writes all these books. Um, but one of the things he does um, is he talks about the signs of entropy um, or indicators that entropy is kind of winning out. And this is on the outline this morning. I thought these were interesting and helpful. Um, he says, one sign that entropy is winning out is a loss of gratitude. Or you may think of the flip side of this, a sense of entitlement. Okay. Not grateful, not thankful, but a low-grade sense of, hey, I'm missing out. Hey, I'm entitled. 
And that's a sign that entropy is winning out spiritually. This one's really interesting as I think about our culture and I think about what's happening these days. Confusing heroes and celebrities. Just think about that. How do we do that? How do we elevate people who are celebrities but not really worthy of imitating, of of following? We confuse heroes and celebrities these days. He says there's also a low-grade chronic sense of guilt. You're just kind of carrying it around. And it's a deflating thing. It saps your energy as you carry that weight of guilt. Um, He says there's a tendency toward superficiality. We're not really going deep. We find ourselves not thinking deep thoughts or feeling deep feelings. We're just kind of operating at at a surface level all the time. That's a sign that entropy is winning out. He says there is unresolved tension in important relationships when entropy is winning out because we're not in... You know, we're not investing in them. We're not putting energy into them. They're coasting and they're losing steam. And tension is a sign of that happening. And you can almost hear <laughs> the air hissing out of life as you work through that list. There are messed up priorities a focus on things that don't matter all that much, a disintegrating of of relationships, um, unhealthy emotions like guilt, um, that signal that entropy is winning. Okay. Again, remember, this is inevitable in terms of what happens to a closed system. It, it wins out. Um, there's no escaping it. It's, it's a law. So why doesn't everyone suffer from those symptoms that Max Dupree lists out? Um, why, are the, why are there folks that as they get older, they seem to be growing, they seem to be gaining momentum, getting stronger as the years go by? Now, yeah, sure, their bodies may be failing, but they're these people whose spirits just seem... be soaring. Why is that? Well, quite simply, they don't live as a closed system. Um, They are pulling on resources from a power that is greater than themselves. And so they're not experiencing entropy in their spirits, in their hearts. So here's a very important question for you. Where are you being inflated in your life? Where are you being, where are you pausing to be filled and refreshed in your life? Where are you getting your tires filled? Um, for me, it ha- there are a number of places to happen. For me, one of the places is at the gym, you work out. And for me, as I'm resting afterward, I'm spending my time with the Lord in prayer and worship that refills me. For me, when I kind of get locked up and, and I'm, I'm not thinking clearly, I'm at work, maybe I push my 
chair away from the desk, I listen to some Hillsong or I listen to, to the worship channel on Amazon Music, and it refills me. It refills me. I open my Bible, I invite God to speak to me, that refills me. And there are a lot of other ways that I get refilled, but what about you? Um, what about you? Is entropy getting the best of you? Are you going through life <laughs> with flat tires? And how's that working out for you? How's that going? Are you trying harder? Working harder? Peddling harder, but getting diminishing returns on your effort. What if you made the decision to stop and pause and refill? And do you know where your refilling stations even are? How does God fill your tires and, and push you onward? Are you plugging in to the one who is greater than your entropy or not? I think those are important questions to ask. And I think they tell us a lot about why we feel the way we feel. Oh, I'm just, I'm just too busy. I can't stop. I can't refill. Too busy. And so the law of diminishing returns takes over. The tires are flatter and flatter. Life is deflating. No, you need to stop. Everybody needs to stop. Everybody needs to refill. Check out David. Check out David. David had his share of troubles, and in fact, in this passage, there are a lot. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, this is from the message. It says, Suddenly David was in even worse trouble. There was talk among men, bitter over the loss of their families, of stoning him. So, really bad situation for David. And it says, David strengthened himself with trust in his God. If he had been a closed system, he was in trouble. But he strengthened himself with his trust in God. Drained by trouble, surrounded by bitter, angry people who were out to get him, his spirit, but his spirit was being filled up by God. How about the Apostle Paul? Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But may it not be held against them, because the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. He wasn't a closed system. He opened his life to God and received strength. The prophet Zephaniah wrote in Zephaniah 3.17, and we sing this song sometimes here, The Lord is with you. He is mighty to save. The Lord is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delights in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. People of faith, they find renewal, they find strength, they find momentum in their relationship with God, plugging in to God. Remember Moses, one part of his life, Moses had been wandering around in the desert. A desert experience for 40 years. 
His life had lost vision, had lost purpose. He's out there tending the sheep, but, but feeling like there should be more to his life than that. And then God appears to him in that burning bush. God speaks to him. Moses is pretty deflated at that point in his life. As God appears to him, he goes from being deflated to being terrified. Who is, what, what's going on? Who, what's happen, who is this that's speaking to me? And the, the encounter with Yahweh is pretty scary for him. And God basically said to him, Moses, you know my people. You're one of my people. You used to live with my people back in Egypt. You know that they are enslaved. They are in captivity. You know that my people are being oppressed. You know that they are miserable. And you know that they have been crying out to me. Well, Moses, I've heard their prayers. And I'm going to answer their prayers. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to take them to the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Renewal and life. Moses is thinking, that sounds, that sounds great. And then God says, you're going to be the one who takes them there. You're going to be their deliverer. And you remember what happens. I mean, essentially, this is my paraphrase, but Moses is like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, really? Me? Come on. I mean, I mean, come on. And he just starts listing out some excuses of why he is not the right person for the job. I love your idea. I love that, that vision, God, but I'm not the right person for that. Um, you know that I'm actually a fugitive from Egypt. I mean... My picture is on all the post offices there in Cairo as most wanted. I had to escape a murder rap there. So surely I'm not the guy you want to send back there. By the way, I'm not leadership material. I mean, I'm just, I just take care of sheep. I mean, that, that's what I've been doing for 40 years. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not a leader. And so he's just, you've got the wrong person, God. And God does a couple of things. He grants a concession. He says, okay, well, if it makes you feel better, you can take Aaron with you. You'll have a buddy there, a partner there. Aaron's a, a pretty competent speaker, pretty eloquent. Um, God reveals his personal name, Yahweh, to Moses. But the biggest thing that God does for Moses, in Exodus 3, verse 12, God says, Moses... I will be with you. You're not going to be a closed system operating on your own, depending on your own resources, leaning on your own strength. Those excuses don't matter, Moses. I am greater than those excuses. And I will be with you. People of faith understand that they don't walk alone through life. People of faith know that their spirits are being refreshed and renewed and recharged along the journey. They know that God loves them. They know that His Son, Jesus Christ, died for them. They know that the Spirit of God 
lives in them, and they know that they are called to a high purpose. And if we yield to Christ, if we obey God, if we walk in this fellowship with the living God, then entropy will not drain our spirits. Now this, let me make one, put one asterisk here, one footnote here. This is different from the story of Moses. Moses was an amazing person, singular in all of history, I think. Uh, amazing, amazing person, amazing as it turned out, leader. God accomplished incredible things through him. And God was with Moses. But God wasn't in Moses. God did not inhabit Moses. And that's the difference. Because of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within us. As Paul will say, um, we are our bodies. Remember? Our temples of the Holy Spirit. The presence. God was with Moses. God wasn't in Moses. And that's incredible. That's incredible when you think about it. So listen to this. 1 John 4, verse 4. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, them being forces at work in the world, spirits at work in the world that oppose Christ. So you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is where? That's right, Barbara. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Mm. Because of Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells Within us, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The one who is in you, John says, is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, what does this have to do with entropy? With this process of decline and inevitable decay that affects human beings and that we see at work everywhere around us. What does it have to do with that? This is on your outline. Write this down. For disciples, there is a power within that interrupts the, the entropy cycle. It's the Spirit of God. There is a power within that is not you, but lives in you that interrupts this cycle of entropy. It's the Spirit of God. Here's what, what Paul will say, and we're going to read this in context in here in just a moment. But Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, he says, Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Think about that. Inwardly, we are being renewed, buoyed up, bolstered, strengthened day by day. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul is going to flesh this out, powerful in, insights that talk about practically how the reality of the Spirit 
living in us will affect us, will change us, will strengthen us, will pull us away from an environment that saps and drains energy and diminishes us, pull us from that, and actually build us and strengthen us and refresh us. So let's start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a couple of verses, verse 17 and verse 18. Now listen... I want you to listen carefully. There's a lot packed into these two short passages we're going to read in these two chapters. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces... By the way, this is a reference to Moses... We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, unveiled faces, the Spirit at work in us, is taking us to levels of ever-increasing glory. The next chapter, Paul takes us to where the rubber meets the road. What difference does this make? Okay, How does this affect the entropy that drains life from me? Listen very carefully. This is in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, therefore we, that's us, We do not lose heart. Though on the outside, entropy is winning. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yeah. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Isn't that good? Inwardly. Okay, outwardly, yes. Wasting away. Outwardly, entropy winning. No way around it. But inwardly, Paul says, day by day, we're being renewed. Why? Because we aren't a closed system. The Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God, eternal, unseen, free. Glorious, lives in us. The Spirit who dwells in us is, is, is greater than any momentary troubles, than anything that we face in our day-to-day life. Whatever it is, Paul says, whatever it is that is weighing down your soul, that is heavy on your heart, it just it can't compare with the Spirit who lives in you. And check it out, Paul, you know, he's not saying that your struggles, that your troubles, he's not saying those things aren't real, okay? What he is saying is, 
yeah, they're real, but compared to the Spirit, the glory that is in you, they are nothing. He just, his quote here is that the Spirit, quote, far outweighs them all. Now, if you fixed your eyes on the temporal and the perishable, if you fixed your eyes on what you can see around you, yeah, Paul said, yeah, you're in trouble. You're going to feel weighed down. But if you fix your eyes on what is unseen, that is far greater and far realer, it's more eternal, more lasting, you're going to be in good shape. So you may be asking, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so dry spiritually? Why, why do I sense this power leakage in my spiritual life? Well, that's it. Paul says, remember, not to fix your eyes on the temporal things, on the visible things, on the passing things. We focus, rather, on the things of God. If we don't, if we're leaning on the things of this world, if we're fixated on things other than Christ, if our focus is on all of this lesser minutia, then the spirit grows weak. Inevitable. Inevitable. So there is this, in this passage, there's this intentionality, there's this movement of focus toward the Lord that is necessary to overcome the entropy that is at work all around us. The Spirit lives in us as believers. We can't take that for granted. Okay? It's not automatic. I've been baptized. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not automatic that I'm going to win out on entropy. Paul says your part is to fix your eyes on Christ, is to constantly lean into this spiritual reality. And if you do that, you will discover the power inside. You will discover the power within. But we've got to press the pause button and get refilled, refocused, to discover that. Okay, quickly, toward the end here, I just want to work through several, several things that Paul tells us about the power within, what it means for us. One thing Paul tells us that it means is that it gives me freedom, verse 17. The Spirit, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. I think you can think about this in a number of ways, but think about it like this. Um, for instance, some believers, and this was especially true um, in ages past, some believers believed that the key to spiritual power was denying the flesh. Okay? It was called asceticism. Okay? Basically, anything that my body craves, anything that I really want... In the, in the physical world, I'm just going to deny myself, and that's going to make me stronger. Okay, there is, a, there is a principle of fasting that's true, that for a certain time you, you do deny yourself food or drink or whatever so that you can focus on God. That's real. But these folks said, no, as a general principle, uh, the more that I say no to what I want, the stronger that I get. That's not a biblical principle. Okay. God actually made... Delicious food, <laughs> beautiful mountains, sensory experiences that you can enjoy. God invented things like 
sex. God invented a lot of really cool stuff. And it's good. God made it. Um, Paul reminds us that we have freedom in the Spirit. This means that if my eyes are fixed on Christ, I can, if my eyes are fixed on Christ, if I'm walking in discipleship, I can enjoy and use things in this world without becoming a slave to those things. Without being mastered by... I can enjoy a good meal without being mastered by food. A food addiction or a food hang-up. I can enjoy money. Money's not bad. The Bible never says money is bad. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't bad. But being mastered by money is bad. You lose your freedom... When you go into debt, you lose your freedom when money is all you think about. When you believe it's the cure for all of your problems, you, be, you become mastered by it. That's bad. Sex isn't bad. God invented it. It's His idea. Being mastered by it, it's bad. It can enslave you and wreck your life. It's easy to see how this works, right? I mean, when lesser things are elevated, or when I fix my eyes on them, when they become the focus of my life, they tend to diminish my freedom. They tend to enslave and, and captivate, and the entropy spiral heads downward very quickly. The Spirit gives freedom. He keeps things in proper balance. Things can be enjoyed as they were meant to be enjoyed. Not elevated to God's status, where they diminish freedom and become life-sapping addictions. Okay, Paul also, so there's freedom in the Spirit. There's a freedom that we have because of the Spirit. Paul also tells us that the power within transforms us into His likeness, into the likeness of Jesus. The main work, this is the main project of the Spirit of God that dwells within the believer is to remake us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. Now, this is not something that happens overnight. And Paul, I love this passage because Paul makes that clear. Ever-increasing glory is the phrase that he uses. There are, there's a process at work, a growth process. It's not an overnight thing. So this is the intentionality that the Spirit is at work on this mission in my life. Instead of entropying, instead of falling into spiritual disorder and chaos, we become more and more and more like Jesus. We love like Jesus. We love God more. We love people more. Even people who others might find difficult to love because Jesus is growing within us. We, we, we give more like Jesus. We serve more like Jesus. 
we experience His mind and His heart. The Spirit is at work within us to transform us into the image of Jesus. That's the project. And then Paul tells us that this power within also, it gives me hope. This is on your outline, the third bullet there. It gives me hope even in my troubles. And you will have troubles. You will face disappointments. You will face pressures. You will have troubles. Jesus says that, right? In this world, you will have troubles. Again, Paul doesn't say that that the troubles that we face, the heartaches, the disappointments, the maybe even persecutions that we face, that those things aren't realities, okay? He doesn't say that. He just says there's a, there's a bigger, a greater reality at work in our lives as believers. It is the one who lives in us and is, who is moving us toward his eternal glory. Verse 17, remember he said, for our light, chapter 4, verse 17, our light... And I love this. Maybe this is the one you need to write down and put on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror this week, all right? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And finally, the power within reveals to me What matters most? What matters most? This is a spirit-powered shift from what is visible and perishable to what is unseen and eternal. There's hope in this, and there's grounding in this. God is helping me to see the true value of things. Loving God, loving people, Jesus says, those are at the top. Nothing matters more than that. Those are the things that, and and the Spirit helps me to see that Jesus, remember, Jesus said as he was telling us that loving God and loving your neighbor is the most important thing. Jesus told us that, uh, that we need to love our neighbor as ourself. You have a lot of neighbors, okay? The closest neighbor that you have lives under the same roof with you. Okay, unless you're single, right? Your spouse, your children, those are your closest neighbors. So the Spirit helps us to see the priority of family. Being a good, godly husband... That's not an also-ran. That's not somewhere on the list. Jesus shows me and the Spirit shows me, no, that's really important. That's something that really matters. Being a good dad, that's way up here. Because He shows me those are the closest neighbors I have who I need to be loving are those people in my own home. So check this out. This whole Spirit living in us isn't just some sort of, ah, ethereal... A spiritual mumbo-jumbo, nebulous thing with no real bearing on everyday life. No. For example, it helps us move against the entropy that is attacking our families. It does. Helps us wake up to that and pour into that. The Spirit helps us see the value of things, the real value of things, and to care about the things that really matter. Because let's, let's face it, 
We live in a culture, in a society, in a time where people care about a lot of things that don't matter that much and neglect the things that, that really do matter. Y'all know, I mean, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, which is kind of weird because about 97% of this book is written from a godless perspective. I mean, it tells you at the beginning, we're not going to think about God, okay? We're going to consider life under the sun, okay? Life in the world of the things that we can see, okay? Things that we can see and experience, work, pleasure, uh, all this kind of stuff. And so it's really a thought experiment, and a spiritual thought experiment, the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, it is a very interesting book because it is a book about entropy. It really is. If life is a closed system, if under the sun, if what we can see and experience here, if that's all there is, then entropy is inevitable. And that's, without using those words, that's really what the book kind of talks about over and over and over again. Living out your days without thinking about God, without thinking about that unseen world. With Well, the phrase that the author uses time after time it is chasing after the wind. It is it's chasing after the wind. If you live without your eyes fixed on God, that's how it is. Now, the end of the book, he comes in, and nice little bookend, fear God, keep his commandments. Yeah, because if you don't, you're just going to be chasing after the wind, grabbing on to things that you can't hold on to. But there is this power at work within us, the Spirit who is reversing this cycle of entropy at work in the world. For believers, spiritual renewal, growth, passion, strength upon strength, glory upon glory, ever-increasing glory, as Paul says. And we believe by faith that the, at the end of days, this Spirit that has, been in, that has been unleashed within us will not only renew spiritually, but will begin an amazing, dramatic Physical renewal, new heavens, new earth, the end of death, the end of sickness. But right now, we enjoy the Spirit within us, unleashed in our hearts, breaking us free from the spiritual, psychological, emotional decay and death that are inevitable without His presence within us. The prophet Isaiah once wrote these words. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He fills them up. He injects life into their daily existence. Because life, well... It does have a way of deflating us. There's no doubt. But the Spirit who lives in us is filling us up with the glory of God. This morning, 
you may need to take that step of faith and put on Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Confess that you believe in Him and that you want to accept that gift of forgiveness that He won for you on the cross. Be baptized into Jesus and begin your life as a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe you just need prayers. Get together with somebody there sitting by you, a spouse or family member, small group, connection class, and just pray over whatever it is that really is that's really deflating you right now. And we would invite you to do that, to respond to the Spirit and to invite Him into whatever area of your life is burdening you this morning as we stand together and worship.